0: Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Mastering Dungeons, which we we are recording for the magnitudes of followers who didn't actually come to Game HomeCon. I'm Sean Merwin, and I'm here, as I always am, in person this time. He smells delicious.
1: Uh, (laughs) Teo Savadilla. Hi, everybody. Nice to see everybody here at the con. It's been awesome talking to some of you already. Yeah. as we
0: often do, uh, we will have a special episode here. We're not going to talk about news and,
1: and a listener email, but we will
0: be taking questions from the
1: audience here. And I do—I'm going to break that rule immediately. I know. Uh, there was a listener question that I was able to get a con answer to. Okay. And the question by Vintage Zebra five five two seven, their real name via YouTube, was: Is there some official D and D pronouncement that the city's name? sigil, sigil, is pronounced differently than the word sigil, sigil. Any dictionaries I've referenced have the G pronounced as a J. And there was a really good YouTube answer by Jeff Dewitt, 6845. The pronunciation was born out of the elder days, when Beleriand stood above the waves, the valor named Monty Cook handed it to the sons of Feanor, saying, Thou shan't call it Sibyl, neither shall you call it Signal, and sigil is the right out, thus it shall forever be. I thought that was a good answer. I don't understand. So what are we supposed to call it? Well, I, so th- as fun as that was, yeah. I went to this morning, just 30 minutes ago, Zeb Cook. I- I've never heard of him. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Except the fact that he actually made Planescape. Made Planescape, right. Yeah. And he said, why do people keep asking me this? <laughs> and so I told him that the 5E team now says that it's, you know, sigil. Yeah. And he said,
2: that's per- they said what? <laughs>
1: so Zeb says no. It, so you can go back to sigil if you'd sigil, like. I definitely want to do that.
0: There, we, here we go. We, we pronounced it sigil, and we actually got some very irate people saying you should pronounce it correctly. Uh, what's that?
3: An engagement. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and
0: so bending through peer pressure as I do, we called. Right. It, I started calling it sigil. and. He gave in to Teos. I, gave in to because you were doing it. I, yeah, you made me do it. So now I'm going back to Sigil. Yeah, Sigil. All
1: right. it's it official. sounds so much better. Right? It does. Sigil. Yeah. Who, who likes Sigil? Like it's okay. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> it's pronounced gay peg And. It's uh, <laughs> peanut Yeah. 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 Well, I'm I'm glad that you were
0: able to hunt uh, Zeb down so we could actually get that. Uh, It was at his house. I was just oh, you just knocked on his door. No wonder he was so irate. Why do people keep doing
1: this? (laughs) Yeah. Hi everyone, this is Teos. Um, At times, I'm going to uh, repeat some questions that came from the audience, so you hear my voice just kind of explain what the audience member asked. And also, right now, I'm going to add some additional information to this fascinating question of what how you pronounce the uh, city of Doors. It's Doors. Getting. Um, we spoke with Monty Cook um, at a game, and he said that he agreed with Zeb Cook that it's always been sigil. But in the time between speaking to Zeb and Monty, some of the folks on our Patreon Discord, thank you everyone, uh, found some pretty interesting information. In fact, if you go to Drive Through RPG and look at the preview of the Planescape main product, you will see a screenshot of what you can also see if you own the product and look at it which is that it has a quote where in character uh, one of the lawful organizations is saying that if you mispronounce the name, you're going to be in trouble. And it explains that to mispronounce it is to give it a J sound. And it's spelled S-I-J-I-L to make that point. So that would say that it is Sigil. And then there's an audio CD that was produced, and that also calls it Sigil. Uh, I also spoke to a 5e staff member that said there's another source book that provides that pronunciation breakdown and makes it the sigil. So it seems like things are different. And it was funny when I asked Monty what he thought about these discrepancies, he said, you know, maybe somebody did it to mess with Zeb. And I think that's hilarious, right? So nobody really seems to exactly know why there are two sets of pronunciations, one that sort of people remember and one that's in a lot of factual places. So, let's call it a difference you can play with, right? Maybe it's like Houston Street in New York or any of these other examples where you might pronounce it when you're out of town, you say Houston. In town, you say Houston, even though one seems to make much more sense than the other. Um, And you can have fun with that in your campaigns. So what, what are we going to do today? Well, uh, we thought we would kind of talk about the general topic of settings. We've been covering 5e's Planescape. Before that, we've mentioned you know things like Spelljammer, uh, and they've done Dragonlance and Ravenloft and Two Swipes. Um, and this was made all the more interesting by uh, Tuesday. Feels like it was an entire week ago, but Tuesday, uh, right after we recorded, they released a D&D Beyond digital-only product, the second of this type that they've done, called Adventure Atlas the Mortuary. And it's an expansion to Planescape, the very day that Planescape was released. So that complete product was immediately added to digitally. And so we thought that would be an interesting way to say, what do you want out of a setting, Right? what even is a setting these days? Right,
0: and if if you put out a setting and the same day you have additional content, what does that mean? Is this content that wouldn't fit into the book? Is this mm. content that they thought people might not want, but we'll give it to people who would want it? Um, and what does a setting mean to, to you as players, as game masters? What does it mean to us? Uh, so, what is in this new uh, mortuary edition?
1: Well, I asked Seb Cook. No. <laughs> I, uh, so, for $10. You, too, can explore the mortuary, its inhabitants, and the adventures buried within. And then it tells you it gets three new monsters, five new maps, four climactic encounters for levels 3 to 11, droppable location for any adventures or campaigns, detailed lore, faction information, and locations within the mortuary. And they made very clear to say that it works with maps, VT. they don't say VTT, but you it know, works with maps, Works with encounters, the encounters builder. Okay. Which the encounters thing is like no news at all, but now they're like highlighting like, ooh, right? Up. And the maps thing, of course, being new, so it's like, hey, now like these maps work with that thing. How many? How many of you know what we're talking
0: about when we say maps? Okay, every pretty much everyone cool. here. Um, yeah. You can now have a
1: sort of tabletop right out of D and D Beyond. Like a a, a, an alpha version of Albert Rodeo is an impolite way to put it. Okay. I don't. I don't mean it disparagingly. It probably sounds that way, but that's no. That's yeah. That's pretty much what it is.
0: Um, uh, and and that
1: is compatible with this. Yeah. And and so I took a look at this this thing, and um, it's about nine thousand words. It's hard to turn the page count. Like I just chucked it into Word, and you know, the, then it formats all weirdly. So I don't know how many pages it is, but it's nine thousand words. Um, It gives you background on the heralds of dust. It gives you basic information on the mortuary. It's all well-written. Justice Armand wrote it, and I did talk to him last night about it. Um, They give you locations of import, and they do hear, we've kind of talked about this a couple times, and some listeners have given us feedback of how they don't quite necessarily love this, but that idea of, we can't really give you a layout because it's constantly changing. So, instead, here's a couple of tables you can roll on to determine what you find. Yeah. It's a nice way to make it work in small amount of space, you know, low amount of words, right. but, yeah, you know. So, so that's what you get. You get kind of this idea of how you could populate your mortuary, because there isn't a mortuary, necessarily. Um, they do give you some locations in the which are these like encounters. And while they say it's from levels three to eleven, what they really mean is each encounter is at a certain tier of play. So corpse receiving and shipping is third to fourth level. It's very similar in concept to the beginning of the adventure, uh, but different. It's not the same place. It's a similar place. Spirit Sump is level 5 to 7. It's a male, malfunctioning place where they process spirits with a really cool catwalk map and stuff like that. Don't, it's not very usable for other things, but very dramatic, cool-looking. Uh, and you have to fix the problem of the Spirit Sump. The Never Vault, level 8 to 10, hazardous containment area for things that should be dead but aren't. Very cool concept. Uh, something has gotten out, it might release other things. Stop it. Uh, the Factal Skull's Orrery. Uh, the Factol is the leader of any faction uh, in Planescape, and Skull is the leader of the Mortuary uh, Duster's faction, and you aid them in ending a powerful threat that has come through his orrery. Mm-hmm. And that's for 11th-plus levels. And then they give you some very tiny they say like ideas for campaigns, and it's like a idea. Uh, five stat blocks, animated coffin, very cool. Looks like a crab coming out of a coffin or spider, and it can pull you in. That's choice. Uh, the Factal Skull, who is a CR-13 Lich leader of the Heralds of Dust. Uh, the Coffin, CR-3. Heralds of Dust is CR-6. Necrokor, being of living blood. Mm-hmm. Tasty. CR-7, fun at parties. And the Planar Incarnate is your catch-all CR-22 representation of a plane in creature form.
0: Hmm. Well, it's what, what I noticed right away, as you mentioned, is, and this is a spoiler for the adventure, but the adventure starts in the mortuary, and mm-hmm. if you play Planescape Torment, you are probably familiar with, with that. Um, so it looks like they are targeting this to people who may want to take that adventure and either set the mortuary as a almost as a base or as a hmm. main adventuring site or a place you can return
1: to um, over and over again. That's interesting. You know, I mean we have this conversation a lot but i sort of think if that's your point then then they could have done more for that mm-hmm. to make that work that it what you know cuz in some ways it gives you another version of starting in a mortuary or visiting a mortuary but it's not an additive one it doesn't enhance that experience it's sort of like another one mm-hmm. like and and yeah. the adventure takes you elsewhere so it's like i uh, yeah, i don't know yeah it's it's a question of it
0: If you are giving an adventure that starts here how much information do you want to give a DM about it at that point how much do you want to add it somewhere else and then reference to it or do you want to do something like this and say hey you want more on the mortuary it's where the adventure starts yeah here we go Um, yeah I I haven't looked at it yet um, except for what you just described so we had a question
1: so there was a question at this point in the audience regarding the adventure and um, i'm not going to exactly repeat it because it had a few spoilers but it basically involved the more cherry and character death and sort of saying you know could this supplement provide something for that based on what the adventure has and if you've seen the adventure you know what they're talking about in the adventure we're, we're gonna try not to spoil it heavily at least now but um but they i mean they've spoiled it left and right on the videos and stuff but um in the adventure, there are. It's clear that you're weird in some way, and you have ways to come back. And what you said is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right. It doesn't have to be in the mortuary, but wherever yeah. it, wherever the story fits is where, where it you happens. Can,
1: yeah. 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 Um, so I'll say briefly that last night I was asking Justice Armand. One of the cool things about being a game hole, you can run into all these folks and just ask them whatever's on your mind. And and he was saying, yeah, this was a really neat project, really enjoyed writing it, Um, wouldn't it be cool if we could do one of these for each faction? And I thought, yeah, that could be cool. Um, And and I guess that's where we kind of started thinking, like, in terms of you guys in the audience, like, what do you think about, like, first of all, how many folks have this, have picked this up? Or or have ordered it or will pick it up when it comes
0: out? Planescape, yeah.
1: The okay. Okay. And how about this add-on, the digital-only D&D Beyond piece? Okay, maybe. I, I want that. <laughs> two, two folks, two, three folks, maybe want it. Okay. I
4: think it
1: was a guaranteed PDF, most that, That's it. Well, I was going to ask. That was one of my questions: is how much is it important that it, it exists in PDF form? Yeah, I mean, I add-on it. huh. Yeah, see, that, that's interesting, because they used to, as, as I think everybody here probably knows, or a lot of folks know, they used to provide a PDF on uh, drive-through DMs Guild, DM, D&D Classics, you know, mm-hmm. through the years, and then there would be like a D&D Beyond version later, because D&D Beyond was one of their partners, and so it would all work through the ecosystem, it would show up on Roll20, and it would show up everywhere, but there would be that PDF that you could hold on to. Not anymore. Now it's just... D Beyond, that's it, mm-hmm. and it doesn't print a PDF that well. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Mm. So uh,
0: that a lot of people raised their hand when the, we asked, "Are you going to get Planescape? Uh, why? Why?" So the, I've already purchased the three
5: version the, the big packet, like as a PDF, and they've got their challenges that they've got to have something that's fresher than that. Mm. But it's a setting, okay. inherently a setting what I'm looking for is I'm not looking for stat blocks. I'm looking for the setting, the, the narrative okay. context that you can place mm. in and that's not edition specific. So they've already got that out. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. I already have point three.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. We had a question come in. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Lou's talk, asked, you know, kind of how do you see the 5e Planescape working with Plane Breaker and, and maybe I'll turn it around to you and say well, what are you thinking of doing with planebreaker? Would you just use Plane Breaker? Would you combine them? Or? I think I would just use Plane if, if one of my players
2: picked up Planescape, I'd probably look through it and find things to drop mm-hmm. in. Okay. But Plane Breaker already has me thinking of what I can use from other supplements that yeah. I could Dribs you know, and drabs and
1: because uh, it has information about how you skip through different planes beyond what's in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for folks who don't know, Monty Cook Games put out, uh, and no shocker because Monty Cook worked on Planescape. Uh, so, as part of Monty Cook Games, they created Plane Breaker as a Kickstarter campaign and they created a 5e version of it as well. And it is a source book that talks about a comet like body, but weird comet. Uh, that goes through planes, and as it goes through them, it picks up elements of them, people and things, and sort of drags them along in its tail, in its path. And you can visit the, the, the uh, plane breaker itself, that kind of moon that's hurtling around, and that's its own interesting environment. And then you can also, along its path, get to other planes. So it's almost the sigil moving through space, but you could have the plane breaker go through sigil, and that would be really cool. <laughs> And give you new doors and new ways and create havoc and it all just that. Just blew my mind. Uh,
3: for me, there was a, a reason I started going back and exploring other games, and I'm having so much fun running other games now. Looking at an $80 purchase for something I might not get back. Mm-hmm. I'll say the only other caveat is I have a lot. I run public games, and I know a bunch of people that want to try indie or try role playing games, but they all want to try indie. Yeah, and, you know. Oh, that's nice. You weren't What about the end? <laughs> right. And I might do it for that. Right? let mm-hmm. people involved. Yeah.
1: I've kind of looked up. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that always is going to happen at some point. I had a, for a lot of folks, right? Like, I think that's a really natural thing that that's totally. I mean, it's almost like we need a support group because it is really difficult. I don't know how difficult it is for you, Dave, but for me, when I like was like, I cannot take any more tui. And I just had to take a break from D&D for a while. It, it felt really strange to turn my back on something that I spent so many hours on. Yeah. But then when you do, it's like you're allergic to you need to And I made it through all of 3E, but at the end of 3E, I was allergic to 3E. Oh, and right. if anyone gave me a 3E anything, I kind of developed a rash and had to <laughs> move five feet away. Right. Even though I loved that so much, all yeah. until the end, but then…
0: Yeah, the same for me. Uh, editing a stat block, I realized I'd started editing the stat block and I… Finished and I looked up and like an hour and a half had passed and I was like I just spent an hour and a half on one stat block editing it for publication <laughs> I need I need to do something else with my life Yeah, yeah. and uh, and fourth edition came and now it only took me ten minutes to edit a stat yeah. block and so I love four
1: yeah just oh, for that just for that yeah, yeah just for that uh, Nine feet synergies and who knows what else in a stat block uh, You were gonna say something Yeah. Something that bothers me a little bit about the move towards like piecemeal release of monsters and that is that a lot of the for
5: me anyway, the inspiration for in developing encounters myself or my group is like having a book that I can like flip through. Mm-hmm. And if you've got these individual monsters, you've got to make the decision that you want that monster up front, there's a you completely remove all the serendipity of finding these mm-hmm. interesting connections between between things, and
3: you're going to lose something if they switch yeah. over to that mode. There's something antiseptic about music, Listen, listening,
0: listening to monsters. What is this book so you speak of? It? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's, that's a good question. How many of you DM or create your own stuff? Oh, most of the people here. Um, do you do it from a book or do you do it from a screen?
5: A
2: it's a mix. Screen. Okay.
0: And is that D&D Beyond? Is it uh, some other third-party system that lists all the monsters? PDF
2: and
0: personal Excel sheet. Personal Excel sheet. God, God bless, man. By I was yeah by the tools. Yeah, tools.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I mean, Cobalt Fight yeah, Club was yeah. huge yeah. for for a while, and still probably is. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's. This is one of the questions as, as a game designer and as a biz, you know, RPG business person. How are people interacting with the stuff? If you can only put it out in one version, or if it's only economical to put out in one version, what version do you use? Um, and that you have to answer that for your own business because you may be limited in some way. You
6: guys are talking about like what people want in products and settings ostensibly, but the the D Beyond product is okay, but there are other companies that are making things that are just as good, if not better, in formats that people want. Like the MCDM Monster Book is amazing. Mm-hmm. What a great product! And the PDF is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So like you're, you're, they say they don't want to compete, but they're technically competing with all these people for for their time, and their attention. Mm-hmm. And, sure. I mean. If I'm going to spend seventy bucks on Planescape or I'm going to spend seventy bucks on that book, I'm going to have to choose. Them and pick the MCDM Monster Book. I want monsters. Right. That's that's. I mean, that's where I'm at with a lot
5: of this stuff. It's just there's oh, there's so much of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's an electronic versus physical question. The question is the formatting, like okay. whether it's a PDF, which is kind of you are given the formatting, right? Of, and you're getting electronically versus a database mm-hmm. kind of approach.
1: Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really fascinating. You're going to say something, Dave. Oh, it,
3: and it's interesting, they're competing against themselves again. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Books versus the digital versus PDFs versus. They can't do a
3: full Planescape setting box because it's already out there, like someone else said. Mm-hmm. So, what do they do for Planescape? An mm-hmm. adventure
1: that's not going to appeal to everyone that wants a setting. I have an opinion on that Uh, because I am opinionated. Uh, And and I go back to the fourth edition Dark Sun, which a lot of folks kind of said, like, what's the point of this? It all exists out there. And if you look at the fourth edition campaign guide, uh, which is very nicely written, it's really good, it is not really providing much that's original. Sometimes it combines things in a sort of new take, you know, and, and, and splices things together in ways that hadn't been done before. But it's essentially a rehash of the old material, taking back to the beginning of the campaign. And it did really well. It really built community, really energized people, brought people into Dark Sun who'd never tried it before. It was tremendous for the setting line, and from what I hear, sold better than any other setting book for 4e, right, including Forgotten Realms. And you know, so it can it can work, right? You can just create Planescape all over again and have it really work. It's not easy, but it can. It's possible, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you.
6: I, uh, I don't buy into the whole the 2nd edition, 1st edition stuff already exists argument because I think the presentation in a lot of those books are trash. Mm. Uh, it's hard to read them. Mm. They're two columns, really small print. They just smash so much stuff in there. I like reading, like, I have the Spelljammer Adventures in 2nd edition that the book has got better content in it than, in my opinion, than the 5th edition book, but the 5th edition stuff is easier to read.
1: That's it's easier to process. Yeah, I mean hopefully we do, each time that we take on the task, write better. Uh, we learn from other people's words, and we craft it better, and we, we shape it better. Um, and I think you know, it's interesting looking at plain-scale. Like They've done a pretty good job of trying, at least through the parts that we've read so far, of keeping it quirky and interesting, but it is a lot easier to read. It maybe loses some of that flavor, but it, it sure is easy to read.
0: Yeah. And
1: if you're trying to bring in new, new people to it, you want it to be
0: that yeah another question uh one more thing about the
2: presentation of Planescape. if planescape was a a pdf very easy to pick up scroll through on my phone when i have the time Mm -hmm. if it's presented through dmd beyond as basically a wiki that i can search and read through that's a a larger ask to Mm -hmm. remember where i was in reading through the product Mm -hmm. yeah it's a lot easier for me to miss something if i'm clicking around in a wiki
5: than if I'm reading a book linear yeah. along those lines too you can't annotate like yeah. it's really important for me to highlight and underline and put notes in mm-hmm. the margins right. either mm-hmm. a book or or an unlocked PDF right PDFs are terrible but yeah you
6: can't do that on PDF yeah, yeah. Sure.
5: can you ask a question yeah so I thought that was
6: interesting like what are, I'm curious as to what people are looking for then are they looking for a quality reference document or a quality of read I mean role-playing mm-hmm. books usually have to be both of them. I find D and D Beyond texts to be very easy to navigate and find stuff in because everything's hyperlinked and whatnot. Which, while there's good, if the PDF is set up right, there's generally pretty good stuff inside of that too. But I find the PDF is a better reading experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: So
3: I, I go a lot of third-party books. I go a lot of third-party books. Mm-hmm. And those are all in PDF when I'm doing my And if I'm mixing adventures and with stuff, I'll be, you know, all of a sudden have to go back to end, you know, I have the two together. Yeah. I, I have a PDF reader for my phone that's different than a PDF reader for my tablet. that's different than two PDF readers on my desktop because one I might edit, one for my own personal use, and I can't do any of that. Yeah. And all of that I can do offline. You I've got to use the app if I'm offline, which happens at places like this a lot. Mm-hmm. And the app is, again, different again from websites website. Yeah, it doesn't work the same. It's not integrated. I can't do a bunch of work in DBB on the website and have to translate to the app because they're two different databases. The search is going to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it's like
5: a whole lot of <laughs> Yeah. yeah. There's actually two uh, actually two use cases, right? There's the planning phase, and mm-hmm. then there's the like in the session yeah. right use <laughs> case, which the D&D beyond is awesome for like, mm. what they do, you know, those are completely different
6: use Yeah, man. If you're only you using, no, I think I think he's right because I I do both. I've done both in my games too, and I can have my Google Doc with my stuff on it that I have stuff cut out of my PDF, and I can usually pretty easily find stuff. And then DD beyond is hyper. It. It's just easy to find stuff. Mm-hmm. That, that is also the experience of the like 50 people I've talked to, yeah.
1: So I mean, yeah, it, it, no, it's true, and and, and more people. And maybe that's one of the things that's interesting too, is that more people are becoming accustomed to running things digitally, having a laptop at the table or something at the table, tablet at the table. I don't like as much as I use. I feel like digital tools are still like my work, and I don't want my work at my table. And I'd, I'd I'd love for none of my players to have a digital anything at the table. I'd like it all paper and all dice is how I'd like it. Um, my notes printed out, that kind of thing. Um, I'm fine with people having devices at the table, but but I would like it better if there were no screens at all. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm still in that world, but I think fewer and fewer people are in that world. How many people who run games are
0: no no computer they you're running via book or paper? Nobody raised their hand. Oh what's that? When I run if I can I put all
3: the screens away.
0: Screens away. So yeah. do you print things out from if
3: I need to, yeah. yeah. Okay. Laptop's my <laughs> I
0: hang
3: in on, on, the on the top. I top mean, of someone
1: screen. should make a digital three-panel laptop screen for <laughs> yeah. DMs that just you know yeah, they extend, they extend on and I yeah. I have a
5: portable screen from a portable second screen for my laptop, and I bring <laughs> two laptops. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> okay. There you can just
1: put it all together. And <laughs> I did notice
3: that
5: Sean ch- ch- didn't
0: ask who's online. Completely digital.
5: Yeah. Uh, okay. Right players on, on both coasts, we're still playing on World 20 exclusively.
0: Exclusive. exclusive. And, and so you have Roll20 open? We have Roll20 open, we have
5: Unity Beyond open. Okay. We have the Beyond20, not the plug,
2: you've a Sure. And everybody's rolling from their Unity character
4: machines and moving our tokens around in to Roll20. and
3: uh. At that point, the
4: immersion
0: comes simply from everybody's ability to tell the story. Okay. So, and as are you the game master? Yeah. Do you have anything else open? Probably,
4: but I can't
0: think of it right one. Okay. I, I was wondering if you had, you know, some other PDFs open, yeah, or, yeah. or yeah. everything's from Roll20, yeah, 20 or a, I have a yeah. Tab of mine. I have a second, third tens of copies
3: Beyond for monsters from the counter block, the uh, counter tool, and then a third tab from the, the for the digital version of, uh, we're playing through Storm King's Thunder, so okay. that digital version. And the
0: hyperlinks come into play, real, release wizard. So, so what happens if Wizards comes out with a virtual tabletop and all of that's just on one screen? I'm going to be screwed.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. No yeah. But the, the only saving grace there, well, I think, will be
5: that um, uh, I have gone in and bitten the bullet and bought Storm store Thunder also in World 20. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so what I would lose access to
3: um, is simply the, the hyperlinks we just talked about.
0: Okay. Everything else also happened. They
3: haven't really pumped me on 20, haven't. They haven't. They pretty much left me on 20 alone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that, I think it's one of those, like, uneasy truce type situations, right? Like, like you don't really want to, it's just, a. this is clearly a tool that benefits everybody. It would be worse to try to stop it in any way, but it does kind of push people into not just being on our ecosystem, is I think how it's seen. What do I know? But that's my read. But... <laughs> yeah. It's right right. I mean and and well, but a lot of companies mess that up, right? Sometimes they sure. just can't have this. And so I, th- I think they're doing the right thing, but it's probably is a little difficult for them to once again
5: the their um, own BTT, that that may be the
1: threshold
3: that they right, actually have. Right. Well have, being in software, being compatible with the employee, it takes work. It, it does. Expect it to almost be the case. Right. So uh, I only assume
1: somebody on the D&D Beyond side is making sure that stays. Yeah, they the d Beyond owns it now, right? I think like didn't they buy it from whoever originally coded it? Yeah, they owned it. No, it's still separate. Okay. Yeah. Still one guy. Okay. Yeah. But it, there's at least some sort of a relationship there, is, is my understanding, and and so that they are. They're, they're making sure it continues to work because they know it's good for them. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I think and Roll20 just...
0: Yeah, we've seen companies, not just role-playing game companies in the past, as Teos was saying, we have to shut that down. Yeah. Not even understanding that you are shooting yourself in the foot if you do that. You don't have a way to, to mm-hmm. do what th- this is doing. And so at least they had the foresight not to make that mistake.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Trying to think, so what does an ideal setting look like? So we could take Planescape and say, okay, Planescape is a three slipcase book set uh, available on D- D&D Beyond and in print. Um, you get your DM screen, you get your maps, you've got the monsters, the setting guide, and adventure. Um, what more do you want from a setting? Or what less do you want or what the yeah. I'm assuming like maybe it's a setting you wanted, right, one that you didn't have yeah. the 2e version or something like yes, that. It's be something,
5: there's got to be something really unique about it that makes it different from just a reskin of something else. Okay. And it's mm-hmm. got to be unique enough, and at the same time provide DM enough insight into how the characters in that setting think, okay. that you don't just have these cardboard pasted Characters that don't really aren't really motivated by anything mm-hmm. okay. so they and that's hard because it, the stranger you make the environment, the more cognitive disconnect you have from those characters, which mm-hmm. means you have to do some heavy lifting to help the GM kind of rock that entire mm-hmm.
0: uh, yeah.
5: relationship so they can improv on it.
0: Okay, so uh, you're talking about the content side, not the actual physical yeah. layout side of, of what needs to be there for you. Yeah. Um, do you do you have a setting that that has been published either by Wizards or by someone else that that really hits that hard for you mm-hmm. and does it really well? Oh, that's a question. Okay. See, this is this is your panel now. <laughs> You're the captain now. Uh, I think settings by themselves are inherently kind of terrible things
6: because <laughs> they don't tell you to do anything. They're just these things that you give to people. Uh, one of the things I've liked a lot about some of the recent design, not just in D and D, but in other spaces, and the D and D box sets. There's usually an adventure, or a campaign that goes with them. So, like, you can marry the setting to the campaign. So, like, the stuff in the camp in the setting book actually is relevant to the adventure that's being run. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do it the other way, but you're asking, and, and that's a lot mm-hmm. of lonely fun that people like. I don't know if we necessarily live in a world where lonely fun is always the
1: best thing. Yeah. So let me ask: when you've purchased a setting that has an adventure in it. Do you always run that adventure? Yeah, or like, let's ask your let, let's say, how, raise your hand if you most of the time would run that adventure. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, so I mean, I think most people would usually use that adventure. Right. And if not, is it still useful to have that there as an indication of what one can do?
6: Yes.
1: So it's, yeah. so it's still you're not like this is dead space. I don't see anybody saying this is dead space to me. Yeah, a lot of times,
4: you know, you don't want to run that particular
5: like, okay, I can incorporate these techniques through this
4: banner. I can bring this in from this way, mm. and they're like, I just don't want to start there. Yeah. I can take it and be like, but I can take this part here, and that can go over here for later, yeah. and I can maybe
0: up these guys a little bit and be fine. Yeah. Uh, adventure, adventure aside then, what's the right ratio of player content, mm. rules, subclasses to lore content, world description, world building? For, for you, if it's just a single product setting. Yeah. Well,
5: I want to answer your question from before. Okay, go ahead. Domains of Dread was amazing. Okay. Because it, it, it fleshed out those areas. It gave you a sense of what really differentiated each of those domains. Um, and it gave you enough of a nugget that you could drop it into another. Domain. Okay. Really well.
0: do, you, do you mean Van Richten's? The Van
1: Richten's. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Van Richten's. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Great. Uh, good. Great book. I can't believe that book has low sales. I know. It murders me.
0: Well, was that because it was they put Ravenloft out, people played, they, they got used to, Ra- oh okay, wait, we did our Ravenloft thing, now we're moving on to the next thing,
1: and... But I thought everybody loved Everon Ravenloft. And the- What's that? Everon
5: is another one.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's a great book that has a lot. Yeah. Really nice setting. Huh. Okay, I'm
0: going to go back to my question yeah. about rules versus lore. Crunch versus fluff, if you want to be very, very reductive. What's, what's, what's the percentage that's perfect for
1: you or your group? Like, how important is it that there is player content?
2: Uh, I think in 5e, very
1: important. Huh. Very
0: important for 5e? Mm-hmm. For, for my tables, it's important if
2: there is player content so players can say, oh, I'm playing a thing in this world, mm-hmm. and they feel like they inhabit it more easily. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, you know, taking a
4: uh, just like a rune knight fighter and then dropping them into anything is you can flavor it, but it doesn't
2: yeah. have the shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hmm. think the breakdown between lore and mechanics uh, is flexible based on how it's presented. Okay. If the lore is all in one block, uh, then it
0: can be really easy to disregard. Okay. If it's dispersed mm. in between mechanics. It's easier to digest,
2: um, but you need a ratio that doesn't turn people away before they get to the mechanics they
0: want. Gotcha. All right.
2: so I can't give you numbers, but I can give
0: you a formula. <laughs> and, and it's thinking through the, the books I've read, it, they seem to do exactly what you'd say not to do, which is... Here's chapter one, it's mechanics and that's it. And here's chapters two through six, which is the world and and other things and monsters. And it doesn't really do it as well as as what you're... A little bit of a different
3: thing. I think in, at least I have seen, a lot of different types of players come out that weren't typically players in 40 and three. And they generally are not as mechanical as mm-hmm. a lot of us, especially DMs are. Mm-hmm. They don't want to get into the like super gritty nuts and bolts. They want to learn about the story. Mm-hmm. And so I can hand a 30-page setting supplement to my players, and they will read that. Or I can hand a 70-page setting plus spells plus player options, and they might actually turn away from that. Mm-hmm. Okay. How? If you, to, yeah. if you want to go back
2: to the What Would I Like in a Box Set thing, a one or two page handout for my players instead of handing a
1: three-page thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask, how important is it that there is like a player guide? Like I think Paizo is pretty good in their products of, of adventure paths and stuff. They'll often have like a give this to your players. Like is that super awesome? Is that yeah key? Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. I'm, I'm, you know, we had some really interesting for folks who can't see everybody here. We had some very polarized, I'd say, kind of reaction to the do you want player contact in the product. Um, I tend to like, I kind of don't want any. I do see how it 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 can be helpful to players, but I I just sort of feel like players I usually play with can add their bits and so to me it's sort of it's it's fine I, I don't need wow. another subclass kind of ever so, again is sort of how I feel someone's mm-hmm. shouted out a a very important word in all of this which is sales <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yes and there is that no and, and if I were directing a project I would say you got to put some subclasses <laughs> in it yeah. don't, get, don't get me wrong I mean yeah. Like, yeah. while hating it and you know but that's you gotta pay the bills, and
5: yeah.
0: on Well, the, you know, I, I I hear about that, and the people seem to fear it, but how many people actually do it? How many people have bought something other than an entire book? We have one person, two people, three, three. people. Yeah. Okay, three people out of about fifteen.
2: What do you
0: mean? So uh, like you like can buy just, buy just the buy sub-class. a single subclass instead of buying the entire book. On, D, on Okay, I mean,
3: there's a little bit of plan and confidence there. I think it's so hard to put together a class. You can do it in D&D Beyond, but it's not convenient. Sometimes it's easier just to spend six
5: bucks on three classes that would come like with a supplement instead mm-hmm. of buying mm-hmm. all that. That brings up a good point. Right, right now, DD Beyond is if people have individually, players have individually bought content, the DM can't, like, it gets really confusing because. DM thinks they've restricted it to certain things. And yeah, the player is like able to access everything, and it's like a mess. That's a different kind
0: of power gaming, right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think you've restricted me? Haha! <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 I just purchased it. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it Mike shake uh, yells about this very often because it drives him wild, and and for good reason. Um, yeah, it, it is really hard to tell your players don't use this when they're seeing the digital thing that that it just gives you. It just gives you stuff and you don't know what came from what and so mm-hmm. there's no easy, you can't just say, go to just this book. It's,
2: yeah.
1: And I, right. I, I was running, I work for Ghostfire Gaming and, and
0: so I was running a Grim Hollow campaign with my home group. And I'm like, I'd like you to keep it sort of to, think you know, old world European Grim Hollow, uh, Grim's fairy tales sorts of things. So let's leave out some of the more wacky stuff that we've seen come out. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. Try to use Groom stuff if you can. Okay, okay, okay. They show up at the table. I have a harigan, right? I have a Loxodon. So I have a rabbit person and an elephant person. I'm like, I don't think you read Grimm's Fairy Tales because they didn't have a lot of uh, elephant folk and, and rabbit folk in that. So, But it was on D&D Beyond. Yes, I know it was on D&D Beyond. And <laughs>
5: then they've invested this time in You're pulling their fun away, Exactly, right, right? exactly.
1: Yeah. Oh man, that that's funny. Yeah, and you know the group, so I do know yeah, the group. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, good yep. luck with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was just telling someone about your group. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: uh, Dave. So going back to the format, right, player work. Right? Mm. Um, how how does I don't even know I haven't seen the either the spell jammer or landscape. one. Game no, I have played I spell jammer. Oh. Uh, but how can I hand that book out just to players? I mean,
1: the don't know, just the player book. Or if I add them in, I, they get the whole thing. Yeah, if you oh. if you share them, they get I think all of it. I
0: would right? imagine. I don't think there's a I don't I haven't tried it, but I haven't seen a button that says restrict them to just the player book or yeah. the adventure or or whatever. But which is would be great, right? To right. <laughs> Give someone the book and not the adventure you're right. running. Yeah. But, don't this, look at that part. I always think of it in terms of the poor game designers who are writing these books and creating this content who don't realize what the final product will be in terms of a book mm. or a PDF or where it will be. And so they might say, oh, well, obviously we're going to put this this thing in the adventure, uh, but that's actually something a player would need. And you have to think about all these things when you don't know what the final product is going to look like, and it it becomes a game design nightmare when you get to the end of the project and realize, if I had known this
1: previously, yeah, how much input do you
3: have
1: about what You might not know. Like I think one of my favorites was that when the d d encounter season for Dark Sun launched, um, it murdered everybody in the first session. Like it was brutal. In fact, it said, pick on this one character and unleash on them, and the creatures were really strong, and boy, there were a lot of, like, casseries dead at the table, because you end up play pregens, too. So it was like, that pregen dies almost at every table. And then the author said, I never knew I was writing an encounters program. I was just writing for wizards for some project, and it ended up being an encounters program. Like, I had no idea this was going to be run in stores by people who don't know various, you know, that you don't have to run it exactly as written, or... And and so it was really it was really tough. And they felt really bad because people were like, This was a terrible experience and he's like, well, I I didn't I wasn't writing that experience. Yeah, this happens a lot. And, and it's happened to me, it's happened to Sean. You know, we write for a certain thing and then somebody halfway through explains what the thing really will be, and you're like, oh. Oh. Or that there's another thing that touches on it and you're like, well oh, right. well if I no the format, right? Like you don't even know like someone's gonna have it.
5: Read- the chapter as a chapter and maybe like only plucking out portions of it from a database search. Right, right.
0: Yeah. And that's why having like a good editor and a good producer is so important because you hope that those editors are empowered to fix that for you and make sure that the thing that you thought was being discussed in chapter one is really not being discussed in chapter eight and
1: chapters two through four keep referencing it. Um, But that is a really interesting point. Like in in the, an earlier panel you did with Joe over there, Joe Rasso, a really cool topic of how you tie different worlds in a line and different products together, and the idea of starting from the top of things like gods and continents versus the bottom, like we're going to be in the village, and the village will lead to the castle, and, you know, and that difference between top-down. And then you can think of the, well, this tiny chunk of the project might be used by a player in a completely different context, right? Someone makes a gun and wants to play it in a grim dark setting, Someone wants to take a loxodon, and it's not Magic the Gathering or any of right. Like, right. wow, that you'd have to, you almost have to now start planning at this tiny little bit of the the digital chunk of it. <laughs> right.
0: And you know, obviously, the people in charge are the ones making these overall decisions, mm-hmm. and they don't know what the game designers did. Uh, they just know that we need to make this three-book set, and so here we go. We're going to we're going to do that and the the larger the company obviously and if you've worked for a large company in any field you you know what this is like people making decisions sometimes have no idea what's going on and vice versa and uh, so that sort of communication is important and that's why when Wizards hired actually in-house editors a lot of us were like yeah because those are the people that have the the vision that hopefully everybody in in the rest of the team yeah. doesn't have to be able to...
1: Uh, well, editors and developers, because right. and to me, developers are one of the key, key jobs that I think makes a product really sing. Um, because you can have a vision, and, and this is true of all of us, like it's true of me, when I have a vision of a thing that I'm creating, I know all of it. It's all in my brain, but the words on the page may not actually convey all of that, because I knew so much that I forgot to properly explain. The editor might make it sound good and everything, but it's the developer that really thinks use case, thinks audience, and goes, I know what you're thinking in your brain, but you didn't write that. So here's what we have to add to it, so that it actually conveys all those things. Or here's what the words say you were thinking.
5: Were you really thinking that? (laughs) Were you
0: really thinking that? No? Okay, well, let's make it so it is what you were thinking. Hmm. And and the audience of of a piece is important. Uh, the people who are going to be using it and the experience you want those people to have sometimes gets lost along the way. So you know, I've written things. This is for kids, so we're, we're going. We need, and so I will change the language I use. I will change everything. I will change the way it's explained, and then it might go to an editor who was not told that this is for kids, yeah. mm-hmm. and so they are, you know, adding big words and explaining things in a different way, and. They just had no idea, and so all of that gets lost in the process. And so it's important to have that overall vision yeah. for everybody in the project to bring it bring it home in the way that it needs
1: to be. And I once combined almost like method acting. I um when I wrote for MCDM, the adventure that went into their um, uh, Kingdoms and Warfare book, I read Strongholds and Followers, which has it reads like it's coming out of Matt's mouth. Right. It's a conversational piece that he's having with you about the rules that are in there. And and it's it's totally it's like listening to one of his YouTube videos. So I listened to a lot of his videos and I wrote the adventure as if I was Matt writing the adventure. Right. So I channeled him to try to sound like him and have the little inflections he does, the little bits there. Um, and so it was funny sometimes people would kind of edit that out. I'm like, well, that was Deliberate. I'm trying to be mad-ish, right? Like, and and so if the editor isn't also trying to be maddish ish well, it won't come out maddish right? They'll just. But but there was a reason for sometimes being circuitous or whatever and, and yeah. conversational out of nowhere, right? All of a sudden, like, you know what I mean? Because that's what Matt does, right? And so, and, and I think people enjoy that when right. reading his books generally, you know. Yeah, like it, that's was, that's, it was the same with Acquisitions
0: Incorporated, right? right? We wrote this. We're like, thank God this isn't a Wizard's book because we can do this as the penny arcade people would do it. And then we learned that Wizards was going to publish it, and we went, oh boy, we will never work for Wizards ever, ever again. But luckily we had Scott Gray, who was editor yeah. For on the penny arcade side, who had also done all the editing for Wizards, yeah. so he was able to very beautifully, as only Scott can do,
1: bring it all together in a way that would make everyone happy. Yeah. And, and the penny arcade team was of one mind, which was very helpful too. So yeah. at that, you know, at that side, everybody understood what the the wording was trying to do. So that part was all very seamless, and I think it was co- so coherent a package that Wizards just kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. stamp it, move yeah. it through, right. Yeah, because very little changed but except for your parts, <laughs> except for the <laughs> parts that were a little over the top for everyone. Oh man, th- those are the best parts of the book, though. But yeah, that's a different show. For
0: $10.99 I, on D D Beyond. Yeah, yeah, get you the can parts. Download undercoat.
1: the special urine part of it. The, <laughs> the urine part of the adventure. That d- um, DLC. Yep. Yeah. Um, I am curious. So a lot of times, folks will say as sort of feedback to us, you know. I want what TUI provided me with the 34 setting products, uh, you know, and it's, so it's interesting to look at Ravenloft and say, well, Van Richten's didn't do all that well, and that was just the second mm-hmm. product. Um, but ignoring the business side of things, like if there is a new setting and it interests you, whether it's a Mistara, it's a Birthright, it's whatever, your favorite setting, how many products need to exist for it? like? And and if there were things like say this um, if you saw the fairy expansion of monsters that they did as a digital only product or they did the digital only planescape thing we talked about like how many of those would you want? That's how good they are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean let's say they're average. I mean, but like I guess to what extent these days do you feel like realistically you're going to buy that one product and you're done or do you want Five add-ons? Do you want as many as they'll make? Like, right. Probably one and
5: done.
1: Okay. We we
0: had a one one and done answer, which seems to be bearing out with market research that so far yeah. says secondary products not only don't sell as well, well that makes sense. How about? But how I mean, about?
4: My, my group enjoys the Forgotten realm setting, so having multiple books that fit in that setting is great because it's they already have a touch point. So, yeah. And it works for us in that aspect.
0: And, and is that just the adventures? Well, what other products did they put out for the realms that weren't Circus just adventures? Circo's right, Adventures Guide, that was the book, right? Yeah, that was Yeah, the, yeah really, but so decent. One of right. Not
5: official ones, but like the Moonshade Isles stuff. was mm. is really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, if I
3: agree
5: with that. Actually, mm-hmm. I think it depends on how good they
3: are. Okay. Mm. And how, I'll that would probably move in for a like, setting. Like they did that for Grail, in that sense. Came out of a series of adventure books based on Grail.
4: Yeah, my 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 group consumes these as and They're seeing them as setting books. Right, right. So you know, take take Ravenloft. We're just like, you know, great. You know, we fight straw or curse straw. We fought straw. If we already did that adventure. I don't need another book about it because we already we already did that. Now it's on to the next one. Now we're
1: gonna go do Icewind Dale. Now we're gonna go do So like with Planescape, right? You've got the the book, the the slipcase covers. Uh, you know, it gives you the adventure. It gives you the monsters. And then it talks about Sigil and the Outlands. So now we've got a faction supplement for one of the factions. Did we want twelve supplements for twelve more factions?
5: It depends on how rich those. It depends on how rich that content is. Mm-hmm. Like if those factions really are unique in a way that's not just like a copy paste of different kind of motive. On
1: yeah.
5: Then, then they've got
1: juice, right? And what about, like, there used to be you know planes of chaos, planes of law. Like, do you want the, like, let's actually go to the outer planes, and I'm going to give you a, a source book on all of those.
5: Is there enough that mm-hmm. I would say, Maybe. Know, like,
3: if they did Descent, uh, the but, you know, you're in the use
5: field, fields, essentially, yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. Manual of Folies
1: for 5e. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. there have been things like that in the past. And Fory had an Outer Planes, and I forget what they called them all Outer Planes and Inner Planes, maybe. Yeah. Books. Gotta be, I think there's got to there's be enough unique about the thing that they're publishing.
5: Like, for me, like Pipiap's guide to the Lower Planes was too superficial to really mm-hmm. grab me. Um, yeah. Right.
3: So it, it depends on how much
4: really creative content you've got. You asked a really interesting question. I remember in two, you know, uh, that's the edition I probably remember most, even though I played all of them. And all of these setting books were coming out, in the start of Birthright, Plain and I remember going to Walden Books and seeing everything there before me, trying to make purchases on my limited amount of money, being <laughs> yeah. in high school, okay. and, and you know, and just strategically buying, typically. Those adventures that were generic mm-hmm. that I could put wherever I wanted, because there was a host that, 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 that came, the host adventure that came out there uh, during that time frame that, that really appealed to me, because I could put them wherever I wanted, because mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily running Greyhawk adventure or you know most of my early things when I was in high school was homebrew stuff, so right. I wanted to be able to cut and paste no matter how rich a setting they be. I mean I didn't even play forgotten world into me but now I'm fine right it because I feel like it's forgotten Realms, but it's kind of not it's it's been genericized to a certain degree it's been sanitized and not in a bad way I'm not using that in a bad way mm-hmm. so I feel like there's this it's almost over it's it's it, yeah like I think wizards could, uh, struggle is if I make it too specific, by emblazoning that specific module with plain scheme, spell jam, or whatever, there's going to be a subset of players that's going to say, Well, I'm not running that right now. But if it's generic enough that I can possibly, at some point in the indeterminate future, if I want to cut and paste it, I can. Yeah. Hmm. I that flexibility, whether I like it or not, and I'm using it right now or not, but in the future, might be valuable enough for me in order to buy it.
0: Yeah. Now, your answer and your answer seem to be diametrically opposed. Now, maybe it's not, but, but you were you like, I want it to be unique. I want it to be very specific.
5: Well, I think it's the, same. Think it's the same. So, like, For example, like like an outer planes, like one of the upper planes. No, I have not yet run across something that is a really compelling, narrative, mm. powerful
0: gotcha. upper
5: planes adventure because it's kind of always generic. Yeah. So if you had one that was, okay, yes, it's a Technically, it's in the landscape setting, but it's a an you know, upper planes adventure, alicium, right? And it's really compelling characters, and there's actually conflict. Yeah. is really hard for to get their head around. Right. In an upper plains, that would that would be
0: really interesting. Okay. Because it would be generic. Right? Okay. And Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well, we are we are definitely out of time. I want to thank everybody for your questions, your comments, you. your thoughts. Um, if you ha- don't watch
1: our show or follow our show,
0: uh, it is. Mastering
1: Dungeons. Find us on Podbean. Find us on the YouTubes. Uh, Find us everywhere that fine podcasts are crafted and also ours. Correct. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.